Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 40. Today we are coming out of Luke chapter 13 as we make our way through the 24 chapters of Luke. Again, I want to thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time or uh, if you've been with this podcast and uh, as I've been on this now for 40 episodes, um, I do want to thank you if you've been checking in and following this. And if again, if this is your first time, I welcome you. So we'll just jump into uh, Luke chapter 13. And it says, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. Okay, this we, we can learn a lesson instantly in this. That... Just because a bad outcome happens doesn't mean that it's the result of a more sinful life than someone who, say, doesn't, that doesn't happen to. Jesus clearly tells them that this is not true. But he says, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now, there was an end brought to those particular individuals, the Galileans and then those that the Tower fell on there was a physical end that occurred to them. But Jesus ties the physical end to a spiritual perishing if repentance is not experienced. So unless you turn from, change the way you think, divorce yourself from the the life self, or rather maybe from the self-life, Unless you repent, you too will all perish. He goes on in verse 6. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. And I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. You know, this, to me, I I cannot help but think, um, this man who interceded, uh, um, I cannot help but think of this as Jesus and who, who makes petition for us on behalf. And then um, we see that we see the, uh, the, the man 
who had the fig tree growing in his vineyard. This, I guess, vineyard owner we think of as the father. Um, but it is important to remember, though, and sometimes this, I think, gets misconstrued in our understanding. Don't see the father as as an angry, vengeful, uh, retribution-seeking father. And we more easily can see Jesus as this, you know, loving, tender, um, gracious Lord. Um, we have to be careful how we isolate and think on them in certain ways. Um, yes, God our Father is um, is one who um, will distribute judgment, will put forth judgment, but he's also a kind, tender, loving, um, merciful Father. Okay, moving on. Verse 10, it says, On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all throughout the dough. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you came from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out, people will come from east and west, north and south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. 
At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I think this is a a part where we can really see the heart of God. And he tells them as he's looking over over Jerusalem, and he says, How I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. You know, we have some chickens and um, we get to see this every season when the hens have chicks and it's fun to let them uh, grow up and be raised and and just see how they progress and uh, the kids get to love it. It, It's truly a, a sweet time. And we get to see this every season, how the hen will get her chicks together. They'll climb up on her back. They'll be underneath her. You'll see one poke its little head out from through her feathers from, from behind her wing. They just, they really just um, <laughs> kind of dominate all over the top of her. And she just lets them, you know, be there. And uh, it's really a sweet thing. And there's a, there's this protection. There's this nurturing. Um, it's really a profound, a profound thing to see when you, when you then kind of contemplate the, the spiritual reality of what Jesus is saying here. And remember, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Don't get trapped in the thinking that, you know, Jesus is good cop and our father God is bad cop and Jesus is trying to, um, you know, suffice a, an angry God who who wants blood and yeah, don't get trapped in that thinking remember that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself um, God was a part of that sacrifice just as much as Christ was it's important to remember and and just kind of in closing I'll I'll say in the previous section when Jesus was speaking about the narrow door. That's a very alarming reality. But he tells them that there there are those who will say, uh, Sir, open up. We ate with you. We drank with you. And you taught in our street. And he will say, I don't know who you are. And I don't know where you've come from. Depart from me, you evildoers. It is a uh, it's a very sobering reality that I think every person must be able to answer individually. What is my relationship to Jesus? Is it one of I know him and he knows me? 
of course he knows us all in the sense of he's sovereign um, or you know omniscient he knows all things he's creator of heaven and earth um, the most complex organism to the most simplest he, he knows everything but what's it saying there is does he know you in in an intimate way as though a husband knows the wife a way that the father can know his son um, you know the the relational knowing is something that is of uh, of a critical value and I think that's really what is echoing here Jesus is saying is do I know you in intimacy in a uh, in a kind of a dual way you know me and I know you um, so I think that's just one thing that as we kind of close this out um, I want to just kind of challenge you with thinking on is is what is my relationship with Jesus with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, what is, how do I know them? And Jesus makes it clear. He makes it clear. He says the only way to God, the only way to the Father is through me. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In a culture today where we live, it's it's a, it's, it's this belief that there are many ways to get to one place and and it doesn't really matter so much as the way that you take as long as you get to the end. But Jesus made it very clear. He took all that out and he said, there's only one way to the Father, to God, and that's through him. And as we enter into him and you know, this is a picture of what we get at the, the crucifixion. Jesus' side was pierced and blood and water poured out. This is, uh, it's this covenantal mixing of the blood. And it can signify this spiritual reality and water as this natural, physical reality. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. And as this is a very confusing concept to him, Jesus asks him, aren't you the leader of Israel? How, do you, how is it that you do not understand these earthly things? How could I tell you uh, spiritual things, things that you don't have a grid for? So so as we ask that question, where are we in relationship to Jesus? If you uh, hear this and you and you feel a tug on your heart that says, I don't believe I have this relationship, well, this is absolutely something that you can obtain. Um, the The Bible, if you go through the New Testament and especially in in the Gospels and some of Paul's writings, you know, how is one saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's not a series of words that we put together to to say something, uh, to make a profession of faith. Um, it is it is simply who do who have we put our faith and belief in? And if we can 
if we can say that I choose to believe in, to put my faith in, to, to, to allow Jesus to lead me through my life. I, he, he says, if you want to be my follower, you must deny yourself, carry your cross and follow me. So we, we deny ourselves. We follow after him. If we've believed, if we can believe that he died, that he rose again, and that he wants us to be in relationship with him, we can, in that moment, experience salvation. And now, from that place, we walk in intimacy and relationship with him daily. And we do that through his word, we do that through prayer, and we do that through encountering him in worship and and fellowship. So I, I pray that you take that step if you haven't, and I hope this was a blessing, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. God bless. If it means that I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you.